Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres, narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey, and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening to last week's season two premiere. And if you guys enjoyed the show, and I really hope you did, uh, please feel free to share it. Please feel free to rate it on Apple Podcasts. Please feel free to leave a review. The more feedback you get, the better the show is, the better that it is for all of my guests. And I'm really excited to have uh, to have this particular guest on this week uh, because he's not only someone that I've known for over 20 years now, but also someone that uh, who has a drive that I have always admired for as long as I've known him. Uh, this is a gentleman who is uh, who's also one of the many students that I've known at Marymount Manhattan College. He actually came in right after I had left. He transferred in in uh, the fall of 98 and I got to know him very, very quickly. And not only did he become a very, very close friend of mine, but we were also roommates for quite a, for a few years at the time. And one of the things that uh, that you will be hearing about uh, about this particular guest is how he was able to take everything that he had learned from studying in theater and adapt that into the role that he is in right now. How he was able to take his passion and then twist it and then work it into something even bigger, uh, something as a kind of a brand ambassador for Tesla Motor Company. And uh, currently for, I believe the uh, the company is called cleantechnica.com. Am I correct on that, Dave? Yeah, Clean Technica. Excellent. So he's got uh, he's got some great stories to share and a real a really great background to share with us. Really looking forward to this conversation. So without further ado, may I present my dear friend David Havisey. David, how are you, sir? Great, George. Thank you so much for having me. It's so awesome to see you, brother. And it's great to see you too, sir. Uh, so before we go into the beginning of everything that, uh, that you've done, 
let's talk a little bit about what you're working on right now. You said that you were, um, you were actually preparing a couple of uh, projects on, um, currently right now. What are you currently doing with Clean Technica? Um, I'm, we currently do a podcast with the CEO and editor-in-chief, or I do, I co-host it. It's called Tesla Inside Out. And it's kind of me being a, a seven-year insider at Tesla. And then Zachary Shahan, who is my co-host, he's uh, been a journalist following it on the outside. So that's kind of where the inside out comes from. And so we basically, it's uh, kind of a retrospective on the origins of the company, uh, the different stages that the company went through and how that's relevant to where they are today. So we take developments in today from today and then we put it within uh, within context of where Tesla has been and where it's going, um, because it's a it's a pretty unappreciated story. Uh, what's happening is pretty phenomenal there, and so we try to put it in a way uh, uh, within a context of of um, uh, you know global events and industry events, uh, how how they've not only negotiated those events but influenced those events and continue to influence it. So uh, Elon Musk. Uh, uh, said in an interview that uh, the Tesla story is so improbable, it, it shouldn't have happened. <laughs> it's impossible <Nice>. odds. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a story of resilience and teamwork and hope and grit. And uh, that's the story that needs to be told. He said that. He's like, that story needs to be told. And Zach yeah. and I both agree. And that's, and that's, what, we, that's what we journey to do is, is to tell that, tell, tell that story. So that's, um, that's fabulous. Yeah. And considering, considering where uh, the SpaceX program is right now and how it's become like a full on reality. Um, this is, this is a great time to be able to sit down and talk with you about this. So, mm -hmm. um, so let's, let's go to what I like to say, what I like to call like the lightning bolt moment. There's always that moment that, um, that strikes someone that makes them think like, that's what I want to do. This is the field that I want to go in. Now, when we, when we first met, you had come in as a transfer into Marymount for the, uh, for the musical theater uh, department. Mm -hmm. Now, where did that start? Where did you go? How did, um, how did you start off wanting to go into the field of, of musicals, theater, dance, the whole, mm -hmm. You know, because you, you really are a triple threat. You can act, you can sing, you can dance. So how did that start? What, uh, what got you going in, the, in that direction to begin with? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I often say I'm a, uh, I'm a talentless half hack that slipped through the cracks at Broadway. <laughs> I, do, I do all of them just good enough to, 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 right. fool, every, to fool everyone. But, Jack of uh, all trades, master of none kind of thing, right? Yeah, quint I am the quintessential example of that. So uh, there's a lot of lightning bolt moments here. I think that they're good. Um, so for show business in general, I, I first started dance in seventh grade and the, and what got me into dance was I was playing basketball with my, my dear friend, David Cordovell. He, he's now, he's now a, um, a doctor in Northern Michigan and, uh, and we were shooting hoops and I was, uh, uh, playing football at the middle school at the middle school level. <laughs> and, uh, mm -hmm. and he said, uh, this friends of his family, um, somebody, uh, there, th that family was teaching a dance class and he's like, we should take it. And I, I, when I thought of dance, I thought of, you know, uh, old women with top hats and, you know, canes, you know, <laughs> waka, 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 you know, right. and, um, 
and like not the cool thing to do definitely so i was like no way man and then my mom was like you know what you know i hear a lot of football players take ballet to help help develop core muscles and legs so maybe you should look into it and i'm like no mom no and in my mind dance was not the cool thing it was not the cool thing and i didn't want to have any part of it um and then my mom like basically dragged me by the ear to my first dance class and it ended up being um i reluctant reluctantly uh, reluctant is an understatement uh i reluctantly went and but when i got there it was an all boys hip-hop class so it was like a dozen uh guys you know kind of like my age you know middle school like 13 12 13 year old 13 or 14 and it was taught by these two high school guys these teenage guys and they were like cool they weren't um you know they had like cool hair and they, you know and they were like cool and they said we're going to teach you to dance cool like it's going right. to be like the ladies are going to love it you know if you're into ladies either way you know whatever mm-hmm. they're like but but um this is going to make you uh you know that 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 lyric from the billy joel song uh uh heard about sex but not enough and I found you oh, could yeah. dance and still look tough. Uh, it oh, was yeah. one of those moments. I was like, <laughs> you could dance and look tough. It could be athletic. It could be strong, you know? And this is before I knew about, you know, Gene Kelly, you know, and, and Fred Astaire and, um, you know, Savion Glover, these these male dance role models. Uh, so I didn't know that, that. I thought of ballet and, you know, I thought of it as a very, a very not tough thing. So anyway, I was hooked and, um, and I loved, I loved it. And I started taking a class every week and I started joining, I joined the competitive group that traveled nationally and, uh, and, and was nationally known. Uh, I started dancing, I, dan- I danced 20, when I went into high school, I danced 20, I rehearsed 25 hours a week on top of school. Wow. So, um, so I would have zero hour. I was in three choirs. I was in show choir, men's ensemble and um, chamber. And so, and, and, um, and show choir was zero hour. That means it started at six o'clock in the morning. So I would mm-hmm. go, I'd go six o'clock in the morning and rehearse show choir. Then I'd do school. After school, I'd have football practice um, from three to six. And then I'd go straight to ballet on the week on the weekends to wow. about 9.30. And then I'd go home and do my homework. And then I'd go to bed at 11.30 every weekday, every oh, weekday. Man. And on the weekends, I danced from nine in the morning to six at night, Saturday, Sunday. So I, I, I lived, wow. ate, slept, because a competitive dance is super competitive. It's kind of, yeah. it's kind of, kind of Olympic. You know, when you think of like the, movie, the shows like So You Think You Can Dance, you know, those, yeah. these kind of television shows that are really awesome. They actually made competitive dance mainstream, which I loved. We would have, this mm-hmm. would have been a dream to us back then. The closest thing we had was like Star Search, um, which, uh, which the guys who taught my class were on. Like that's no how they were, that, they were local kind of, they had local fame that they had won a couple times on Star Search. Um, oh, that's it was so a cool. Four, it was a four guys hip hop class. And, and so I, I, I knew them because those were the guys from Star Search, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but that's all we had was Star Search. And then it was just kind of sometimes people dance, sometimes they didn't. So anyway, um, uh, so then uh, through high school, you know, it's, it's time to think about what to do after high school. And then right. my, um, so my parents who are both, you know, master's degree, highly educated people, they value education, uh, you know, they're pretty highly motivated people said, um, so what's the next step? What are you going to do? And I said, well, I, you know, I guess I could play, because I played football in high school too. I actually had to quit junior year because, yeah. because the musicals, they started doing the musicals in the fall. 
and oh, uh, and so it's kind of this choice. I don't want to say like silver one choice. or the other kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and um <laughs> and um and I chose the musical, and so um and I said and my because I, I was too small to play college ball, you know, and I was a lineman, so I was definitely yeah. way too small as a lineman. I, maybe I could have been a tight end or something. You know, I was six two, about one hundred and eighty mm-hmm. pounds at that time. As as a lean, one hundred and eighty pounds. And yeah. I, but I would have got crushed playing. I maybe could have been a kicker, but I wasn't that good at kicking. So, um, <laughs> but I couldn't play on the line. I would have got destroyed. So I was like, I can't wow. play college ball. I was like, I know this feels, um, this sounds silly, but I, I said, I want to give the, the showbiz thing a go. And, mm-hmm. um, and another thing was, was I had a passion for automobiles and we'll get to that in a little bit. But, and, yeah. and my dad was, my dad was a, a, an auto executive uh, for about 38, 38 years in the big three. And he said, you know, if you got into the auto industry, he goes, I know every door to open. I understand mm-hmm. it. I know it back and forth. I've lived it and breathed it for decades. He's like, I don't know anything about showbiz. Mom doesn't know anything about showbiz. They're like, we'll be at every performance clapping, but we don't know how, what that world works. And I said, ah, oh, don't worry about it. You know, I'll, fi- I'll figure it out. I'll, you know, I'll figure it out. So I started going to uh, Oakland University, which is a, a local school. Um, it's in the mm-hmm. suburb of Detroit, you know, cause I lived, I was born and raised in Michigan outside of Detroit. And, um, I lived in the dorms, even though it was, it was like six miles away from my house, but I still lived in the dorms. So I just wanted to you know, have that experience. <laughs> you want to live that life. You know, like that's, yeah, you know, yeah. especially yeah. considering the, you know, what, what you've been doing in high school, it was a good chance that you were going to have a schedule that was going to match that if not exceed it. Correct. Yeah. So I definitely stayed, stayed busy. So what got me to New York city, this is a lightning bolt moment. Uh, mm-hmm. So the first one was kind of to take the first dance class. The other one was um, I'd been going to Oakland freshman and sophomore year, and I knew I wanted to. It's actually there's actually two there's actually two things that kind of happened simultaneously that summer. I'd spend my summers all through high school. I'd go to nationals, which is like um, the national competition for dance. Uh, it's in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, uh, and it was, it was hosted by Ben Vereen. And uh, nice. and uh, it was cool. We won it a couple of times. And um, but after that, we, uh, me and a, a group from my studio, would go to Los Angeles for the rest of the summer to train uh, oh, wow. the, with, with the LA dance teachers there. Uh, and there's some really really great ones because because LA dance is different than New York dance. It's like a East Side West Side, you know, East, right. East Coast West Coast thing. And um, and we just wanted to get that influence, you know, because those were like the best people. And so. Um, uh, so it's kind of like training in the off season kind of a thing. So mm-hmm. I went, I spent the summer of my sophomore year in college. My mom and I went to LA for a couple months for me to train. And mm-hmm. it was just my mom and I. And um, right before we went, I was in the parking lot. I don't know, was it a grocery store? No, no, it was the dance, it was the dance studio. Cause I wasn't competing anymore because I was in college, but I think I was, I went to the dance studio to wish them wish the kids well as they're going off to nationals. Right. And I bumped into um, Barb Kasperzak, Brian Kasperzak's mom. Oh, no and, kidding. Um, yeah. So I'm sure if, if Ryan hasn't been a guest yet, I'm sure he, he will be. Will, he will be. He will be. Oh, yes. Yeah, obviously. Um, uh, so I, bar- I, I bumped into Mrs. Kasperzak and she's like, you know, Ryan is going to New York because he, he had just graduated high school at this point. Right. And um, this is the summer before his freshman year in college. And uh, for those who don't know Ryan, he's now a massive Broadway big shot uh, dance choreographer guy. So, um, um, but back then we knew, we knew him as the bear. And, uh, and she's like, yeah, the bear is, um, 
is going to go to New York. He's going to go to Marymount Manhattan College and, and study theater. And she was like, she gave me this pitch. She's like, Dave, you need to go there. You, you know, you're going to end up there. You need to go. It'd be great. You know, Ryan will be there. Um, you know, you can kind of, um, kind of psychologically it'd be great to have two, you know, Michigan boys there from the, from the school, you know, representing. And, um, and she said, we did all this research. Uh, Bill Bordeaux was a, uh, which uh, those of you who don't know, was, um, he was instrumental to get me into Marymount. He was part of the recruiting process. He was kind of the heart and soul of Marymount. Uh, he was a U of M grad, which, uh, you know, Wolverine, which my, uh, my father did his undergrad and grad there. So, um, so she's like, it's really, really awesome program. And so that kind of planted the seed. I was like, you know what? Yeah. I, I didn't know how I was going to get to New York. And I was like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the clutch. Maybe this mm -hmm. is the transition. So um, I looked into Marymount living in LA that summer because it had to be pretty quick because I was already enrolled yeah. to go to Oakland next year. Um, and so I was really falling in love with that. A couple of conversations with Bill Bordeaux. And then I was walking in a park in Studio City, Los Angeles. And there was this guy pushing a stroller and he was a screenwriter. And I wish I could have remembered his name because it really influenced me, really, really, really changed my life. And I, and we got to talking and he, um, I told him this dilemma. I don't know if I should go to New York or if I should like live in Los Angeles. And, and his advice to me was, he goes, you know what I tell everyone when they think about living in New York, he goes, I think everyone should live in New York once in your life. Yeah. He's like, you have, you have one life to live, even if it's for three months. He's like, live in New York. It, there's nothing else like it. You know, live in the city, see what it does to you. Some people like it, some people don't. But it's an experience that you can only have in one place, and that's New York. So I was that like, true. I was like, you know what? That's it. A complete stranger gave me that advice. Wow. And then my, um, um, my agent at the time, awesome guy, um, uh, his name's Tony Selznick. Um, uh, grandson of, uh, of, uh, David, David Ocells, of David Ocells, really? of, uh, of Gone with the Wind and all that stuff. So wow. he was kind of Hollywood royalty in that way. Um, but he agreed. He's like, you need to go to New York. Uh, it was just completely selfish of him because he's losing a client, you know, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but we stayed incredibly close to this day. I mean, he's, he, but he's one of those guys, you know, he's looking out, you know, for the, um, really looking out for me. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, so that's how I got to, that's how I got to Marymount. And, so cool. um, and then, uh, and then I had to, cause I was a transfer student. I, uh, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I missed the audition for the theater program. Uh, oh really? Because, uh, so yeah. So I had to come in as a general ed, uh, as a general ed major or whatever. Um, but oh, wow. anyone could audition for the plays yeah. you, um, at Marymount, which was, which was fortunate. So, yeah. um, so I auditioned for Love's Labor's Lost as a non-major, uh, mm -hmm. and, and then I, and I and I got um, Don Armato, which is the kind of the comic relief guy in the show, mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, and that was great, and that's how I got my first New York agent. Um, that's so cool. Some, yeah, some uh, somebody's there, and and uh, that's how I got my agent there. Um, wow. So that's that. Um, I, how much should I fast forward? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I, I mean, fast forward to my lightning bolt, the other lightning bolt moment. Uh, well, the uh, well during that time, you know, like that. I mean, we got we got to know each other pretty quickly um, yes. during that period. Um, we just happened to 
wind up being in like the same circles. And at some point our eyes met and you know, the rest is history there. Yeah. Um, um, Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Or, or the, uh, or the crowded hallway, you know, like right in front of the, uh, right in front of the main stage um, over at, uh, Mm -hmm. over at Marymount. Uh, So many great memories of that, of that time. There was, there really was just like a magical time. And yeah, it's a golden age. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, you know, great people that were there and, um, was it the, was it the fall of 99 when you and Joe Pospisil and Brendan Murphy and Peter Roman all did uh, best foot forward? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. It was yeah. fall of 99. And, and Kelly Scanlon, um, mm-hmm. you know, drop, dropping a lot of names here, you know, like, uh, um, and they're all, everyone there just very, very important. And, you know, important people, you know, like during that, uh, during that period. So, oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. so was it around, so by then you were really kind of like, you were in the department, correct? Correct. Yeah. It, the, they had auditions for the following semester. So that fall, mm-hmm. I think while I was in Love's Labor's Lost, I went to the general auditions so that in spring I could officially join the program. So I officially joined the program. And you have to also remember there was no musical theater program at this time. It was only theater. It was only, really? uh, yeah, it was only theater. And then, um, uh, Oh, that's, that's right. It was, it was, yeah, like there was theater the BFA. or dance. Yeah. There, yeah. There's yeah. the, there was the BA, there was the BA for theater arts with, and mm-hmm. you can have like the concentration in either acting, directing or technical. Mm-hmm. And, um, I did, you know, that's how I, that's how I got in. I was BA concentration in acting. So mm-hmm. then there was the BFA yeah, in acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Which I did the BA, yeah, as well. Okay, yeah, awesome. Okay, um, so yeah, so yeah, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so um, and then that at that point, and it might, but you know, the dance program at Marymount, which is also incredible, mm-hmm. um, was very separate from the theater program. So they kind of yeah. had their own thing, um, because the they they didn't want people kind of meddling with dance they wanted like professional dancers you know it was was more like a a conservatory the way they ran the dance program and rightly so so Mm -hmm. um for dance i danced uh i took uh i went to broadway dance center which is like you know one of the the big the big studios in new york steps in broadway dance center too and Mm -hmm. um and i was in the apprentice program so i would teach or i would i wouldn't teach i would um work the desk you know basically the check-in desk and then you mm-hmm. get free lessons if you work. It was it was oh, no money, great. but but you, you kind of trade it for lessons. So I would um, do that at night, and then um, and I took voice from uh, Paul Katz, uh, who's a great guy. He's um, uh, he's one of the accompanists at Marymount, but then he taught. Uh, he lived above uh, Zanzibar on 45th, and uh, he still does uh, 45th and 9th. Uh, oh, wow. He has a little studio in his in his house, and so I um, all the way into my professional career. Um, he was my, my vocal coach. So, um, so I took him for voice during Marymount and then I took dance at Broadway dance center, which again was like a dream come true because like, I was like, man, I'm going to college. My campus is New York city and my which is dance, a, which is exactly what, what Marymount said during the, uh, dur- during the, um, the orientation, the first couple of days and everything, they, they made a point to say that because, uh, the great thing about Marymount Manhattan College is that it really was just one building on on yeah. uh, between between Third uh, and Second Avenue on Seventy First Street, still is, and mm-hmm. the dorms were just kind of scattered all around the city. And for my first two years, I was in um, on Seventy Seventh and Broadway, and then Seventy First in York, and then at the Y during mm-hmm. on Ninety uh, Second and Lex during 
for my four years. So they made a point to say during orientation, um, New York is your campus, you know, which, yeah. which it's, at, it's at first brilliant. it was just like, yeah, okay. But then you realize what they mean. And just like, you have the world is really open to you as soon as you start there. It's really yeah. great. Like I did my homework, like at the foot of Shakespeare's statue in Central yeah. Park. It was yeah. it, that whole time was surreal. It was a, mm -hmm. it was a dream. I was like, yeah. I'm taking class. Like I'm taking, I'm, I'm, I'm honing my dance at Broadway Dance Center. Like this, yeah. Yeah. I, it, I, it was, it, I was like, it was unbelievable for free. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I had to work for it, you know, but I mean, you know, but still like, yeah, but I love, I was gladly, I would work the desk. I didn't care, you know, and um, it was and just such had, a privilege. And you, had and you had time like sitting at the desk and everything to do your homework as well while you're sitting there, right? Oh, sure. Totally. Yeah. You know, and Even um, better. yeah, you just sign people in. I mean, it was not backbreaking work, you know, right. um, and um, so it was just, it was just awesome. And uh and I got my, when I got my agent, it was, it was almost too much of a good thing because I would, um, you can only miss so much school, you know, like so much class Yeah. because the class sizes are so small. Right. It's not like a big university where you're one of a hundred people in an auditorium or something and you could just show up for the final exams, you know, yeah. and just read the syllabus. Um, mm -hmm. No, there's like a dozen people in a class and everyone knows each other's names and, and they miss you when you're gone. So um, I think there's like a yeah. three strike like if you miss three classes outside of being, you know, a doctor's note or something, you know, you had to like retake the class or something or something like that. Where like it was frowned upon if you miss. Well, I was going to auditions all the time and I got into like, I couldn't miss any more class. And so I, I actually had to tell my agent, like, <laughs> like back off, like in the summer, I'll start auditioning mm -hmm. again. But um, because we had a couple people in Broadway shows, like, you know, Joe Webb was uh, doing Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk, I believe at the time. And uh, I believe the schools let him right. do it for credit, which was super cool. And um, that is cool. Uh, and again, that was just another cool thing. Like, oh my gosh, like we had students that were doing Broadway shows. Yeah. While, yeah. while going to school. So they went to school during the day <laughs> and would go at night to do a show for credit. It was like, it just, it just seemed, it was just a dream. And uh, it really made the dream real, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I just loved it. I loved it. And yeah. yeah, the New York, New York is your campus. I mean, that's just, that should be their tagline, you know? It really is. Yeah. I mean, that's, although I kind of like the, the way that they did it, you know, they, um, the way that they brought it to your attention at orientation. So it's just like, by the way, you know, like you have, you know, like you made the choice to come here. You were able to get in, you're able to get into this department. Now we got a secret for you. Now you can, you, you, you have, you literally have, the world as your oyster so go for it yeah and so like that's that in itself is like i mean it's something that yeah it would it would be a great marketing tool but at the same time i'm glad they're not doing that i'm glad they're yeah they're, yeah they're yeah, keeping yeah that a little secret for us you know yeah yeah um, good point good point so uh so during this time during this time you're real you know you're getting this kind of experience and you're really getting into 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 theater and everything um what happens after graduation so um so after graduation i just um uh just was auditioning like crazy mm -hmm. and then um i got my first i got my equity card my first show is doing damn yankees um at um the riverside theater in vero beach florida which is a beautiful regional theater 
um, in, uh, in, on the east coast of, mm -hmm. uh, of Florida, intercoastal there. And um, that, was, that was really sweet. Uh, so I just started auditioning and working there. Uh, as you know, the, I, you know, I did a bunch of regional shows. Uh, right. And then the highlights were kind of the epiphany was, <laughs> this actually explains <laughs> my backdrop. If you notice my backdrop, I know your viewers don't have, um, don't, aren't video. But this is the um, <laughs> this is the um, I want to be a producer dream sequence from the producer's film of the, of the musical. Yep. So anyway, the reason why that's up there is uh, I actually had we had a reunion, uh, producers reunion, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago on Zoom, which is really cool. Oh no, so kidding! I'm, oh, so I put so this cool. backdrop up in honor of them. So um, yeah, so um, so in uh, what was that? That would have been in fall of two thousand three. Um, right. I got cast, yeah, um, in the producers. I was, I was actually taking a class. I was taking an audition class with, um, it was Junior Vitolik with uh, Tara Rubin Casting. Tara Rubin Casting is one of the biggest uh, Broadway casting uh, offices, you know, in New York. Mm -hmm. And um, she, and she said, uh, hey, can you stay after class? I want to talk to you about something. I was like, sure, sure. She's like, hey, listen, um, the first national tour of producers, and producers had just won everything like every Tony yeah. is the most 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 attorney award-winning show in Broadway history is a huge deal and um and she said the first national tour is actually sitting in Los Angeles for eight months and um and uh Jason Alexander is uh Max and Martin Short is uh Leo and mm -hmm. uh, they're playing at the Pantages in Hollywood uh Jason who people don't know he's George Costanza in, in Seinfeld and many 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 other things uh, oh, yeah. And then, of course, Martin Short is Martin Short, and uh, <laughs> and they said, and the the guy who's who's now a dear friend of mine, Patrick Wessel, he said the guy um, who's Martin Short's understudy is um, leaving the show, and um, she goes, I think he'd really be great for it, and I was like, Wow, oh, like okay, she's <laughs> like, so come on in, she's like, um, we'll go over some of the material, and then I'll introduce you to the creative team. And mm -hmm. um, so long story short, after about three callbacks, um, I got it. And it was just so surreal. Wow. And, um, and I just, you know, I, I, I've been dating Liz, my now wife, uh, for about three months at that point. And mm -hmm. then uh, <laughs> we met at the Yaffa Cafe for a date. And I wrote the news to her and said, um, well, she, because she knew I was up for it. And right. then I said, you want to you keep this going? You know, because I'd understand. I had to move to Los Angeles. And so like quickly. And so yeah. <laughs> uh, I was like, I understand that, you know, if you I want to keep this going by understand if you know, you know, you know, it's gonna be a long distance thing. She was all right. for it. Um, which is fine because I just end up flying flying her out every couple of weeks. So it worked out well. But um, so next yeah. thing you know, I'm I mean, very long, you know, brevity is not one of my strengths, but I'm trying to so I'm I'm in Los Angeles hanging out with Martin and Jason doing a doing a doing a skit. You know, yep. and um, it was so surreal. Um, you know, I had a company car. I lived lived in the Burbank Hills, um, company housing. You know, mm -hmm. had a a, a a red Mustang convertible, a per diem. It was nuts. And I'd rehearse. I'd rehearse in the bowels of the Pantages uh, during the day, and I would watch the show at night uh, while wow. I was rehearsing it. And then uh, I'd hang out with Brandon at night. <laughs> or Brandon, you <laughs> see Brandon Murphy. Oh yeah, um, 
one of the most surreal, one of the most surreal moments was, um, and I was also rehearsing with Alan Ruck, who is, was going to be joining the show after the tour. Alan Ruck. That's right. Like, yep. You know, Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So it's just mm -hmm. really, it was a very surreal time, you know, yeah. like it, it was like, it was, it was very, I, one, 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 one night after the, after I'd been rehearsing all day and I went to see the show, I met my, uh, I met my friend Cassandra, who I knew from Oakland University, mm -hmm. who is now living in, in Hollywood. And we met at, at Mel's Diner on Hollywood oh, Island. Nice. And, nice. um, and I loved it. They have a great Cobb salad there. And, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and I'd eat it like, cause I'm a creature of habit. I'd be there every night, like eating one. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I was outside and then, um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel's studio is kitty corner. Right. The, the back door to his studio is, is kitty corner to Mel's and him and Sarah Silverman were crossing the street back, back when they were together. You know, this is back in 03. And right. so he and Sarah Silverman are running across the street and, um, and you know, the connection with, uh, George, our buddy, George Nicolaitis, you know, right. and the Kimmel's. So I said, uh, Hey Jimmy, I, and I wanted to make sure I made that connection. So he didn't think I was just some weirdo on the street. It's like, Hey Jimmy, I'm friends with George Nicolaitis back in New York. He's like, oh, hey, man, how's it going? I was like, oh, great, great. Cool. He's like, yeah, he's like, what are you doing out here? I was like, I'm doing uh, the producers over at the Pantages. And Sarah was like, oh, I want to see that. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, come on by. You know, you can go backstage and hang out and stuff. I'm like, cool, cool. I was like, oh, I'll let you go. I just want to say hi. And so I, uh, I was um, hanging out with Cassandra and we had uh, dinner and everything. And Jimmy was somewhere in there, but, you know, um, what was really cool is before Jimmy left, he made it a point to come over and sit down and say like, Hey man, it was so great to meet you. And, uh, you know, so enjoy cool. the rest of your time. I was like, that is so, that is so awesome. Yeah. Um, so again, it was just a, such a surreal, that was such a surreal moment. And then, yeah. um, um, and that was kind of really validating to be like, wow, you know, um, right. Cause, and it it's didn't like, just happen. And, and it's like, you're not, you're not there just to like audition or anything like that. And like, you already have something here. When he asks like, what are you doing here? And everything, it's just like, I am doing this show. So it's- Yeah, I'm a yeah, working actor. Just like, yeah. yeah, that's, a, that's, that's got to be an amazing feeling to be able to, to say that. Not just like, oh, I'm just kind of putzing around and you know, just something might happen. I don't know. It's just like, no, no, something is happening. It's, it's happening right now. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool. And, and it, didn't, it didn't fall into my lap. Uh, you know, a lot, right. I think a lot of people think, um, uh, like, oh man, you really were lucky. And I'm incredibly fortunate. Like, holy crap. I mean, I talk about this with my wife all the time, particularly yeah. these, these days, um, in light of everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, I auditioned hundreds of times mm -hmm. before booking that yeah. hundreds yeah. of times I was told yeah. no a thousand times, you know? And yeah. it was just that, it's that kind of persistence, you know, I, I always have a saying, persistence pays, you know, yeah. and um, you, you do it, you try until, you know, right. uh, and that, and that was my, that was kind of my, um, my logic. Uh, I was really inspired by, um, um, there's this story that, um, uh, that I heard. I think it was from, oh, it was, um, I, I told you that story about Vin Diesel, about his big, his big break, about him talking with, um, uh, he was on the set of, um, what is it? It was a, 
it was um what's the guy that plays han solo um harrison ford harrison ford yeah yeah he's on the second i have blanked on harrison ford's name <laughs> but That's all right. um i think i think um vin diesel was on he's like on jay leno or something i forget some late night talk show and yeah. they said you know a lot of and the host said you know a lot of people think you're this overnight success but you've actually been at this for several years before you had your your big break and they they're like and they talked about like a lightning bolt moment for him and he right. was um have you heard this story i thought it was fascinating it was actually a big motivator in my life um i i, I think i think we had discussed it in the past but you know, like refresh my memory and definitely, you know, say it anyway for the, for our guests, for our, yeah, for our listeners. It, it was awesome. So, um, so Vin Diesel was like, well, I was in, I was a struggling actor for over 10 years, 15 years, you know, doors shut in my face, you know, yeah. and just this ambiguous random actor guy, one of a thousand. And he said, mm -hmm. I was, he goes, I was on the set of Sabrina, uh, you know, Harrison Ford. Oh yeah. Movie. Yeah. And he mm -hmm. was, he, and, and he said, I was an extra. I was one of 200 people that were in a crowd, you know, wow. a, a, a nameless face in a crowd. And he said, um, and you know, the set has catering services. So it's like a little mm -hmm. table and you can make sandwiches and stuff. And one of the cardinal kind of unspoken rules is you don't speak to the talent. You don't speak to the stars of the film. Right. So he said, but I, he goes, I was so down and out. I hadn't booked a gig in forever. I just do like little bit 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 teeny parts and off 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 broadway and you know just scrounging to survive kind of a thing and he said um he goes i'm making a sandwich and i look up and there's harrison ford standing right next to me making a sandwich wow. and he goes i knew it was frowned upon i knew i wasn't supposed to do it but he said you know mr ford i gotta ask you you've had you're at the top of your game you're like the biggest the biggest of big the, the brightest of stars how did you do it what what is the secret to doing it. Can you articulate what that is? And Harrison's like, yeah, you know what? Finish making your sandwich and come over here and sit with me on like these crates over here. And he was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Like he's just wow. inviting me over. Wow. <laughs> and, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but Harrison Ford said, you know, when I came here, I came here with a couple of buddies and, uh, and we would do like carpentry work or something to get by. And he goes, mm -hmm. after a year, one of the buddies left. Uh, after two years, the other guy left. And he said, I just never left. Mm. That was, he goes, that's the secret. Yeah. You, you, just, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. You find out what you want to do and you work toward it every day. And it won't play out exactly how you think, but something will happen. Some, you know, yeah. the, the, the universe starts to conspire with people that do that. And, um, and so that was my, my point of view. I was like, I knew, yeah. and, that, and that was always my thing with, with, with showbiz and also with Tesla was, uh, the mantra that I would put out, but also what I would tell people if whether I was auditioning for them for the fifth time or whatever, mm -hmm. I would say, I persist. The reason I persist is because I know in my heart of hearts, I have something to give to the community. Mm. I know that what I have to give is valuable yeah. and that the community will be better for it. And that is why I persist. Because wow. I, if you if you bring something of value, it will be recognized eventually. Now you have to do a gut check yeah. to make sure it's truly valuable, <laughs> you know, right. and not <laughs> and not and not just ego some ego trip like oh I want to be famous or I want to be successful or I want to be have money or something. If it's something right. that is truly valuable and and the and the community you're participating in, it, if it's an asset to that, it will be recognized. It's it's, it's just the that's the law of the universe, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, 
So uh, producers was definitely a validation of that. Uh, it mm -hmm. definitely gave me momentum. You know, so I did that for about two years, um, which mm -hmm. was incredible. Um, then I did a couple of regional shows. Um, then I did um, um, Spam a lot, which was um, uh, this kind of fast forwarding. Through yeah, of <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Spam a lot was another kind of cosmic thing where, um, you know, I was a huge Monty Python fan. And still, still are. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And it was, it was, there's something very cosmic about, you know, quoting those movies in the dorm room of oh, yeah. college and then saying those same lines and getting paid for it every night. There's something like really cosmic about that. My audition, I remember being out in the hallway and it was mm -hmm. Tara Rubin casting the same uh, office that cast producers. So that yeah. kind of helped um, establish that. Um, uh, cosmically, Lindsay, uh, Ryan Kasperzak's wife, <laughs> worked at Tara uh -huh. Rubin casting. That's how I knew her. Wow. I, yeah. I think I, I think I knew her before she knew Ryan. And, really? Um, yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> and um, which is really funny. It's just a coincidence that they happen to be. And even more cosmically, I sold Lindsay's dad a Tesla before I knew he was her dad. Another, nice. <laughs> co another cosmic thing. But that's, yeah. you know, that's something else. Um, uh, so, um, yeah. And then when producers uh, or uh, Spamalot was like, when my audition happened, I already knew the lines. I, 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 mm -hmm. 20, I had 24 pages of sides, <laughs> which is, would, is considered a lot. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't pick up the sides. I actually left them on the piano. And I remember um, Patrick, he's, he, he worked, he wore, he's the, the number two to um, um, uh, like the number two creative, creative uh, guy. So, um, right. uh, you know, cause Nichols directed it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, and he's like, wow, man, you're all book. And I was like, I know these. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I remember when I got done doing the sides, you know, we did all the classics. We did Tim the Enchanter. We did Dirty oh, Dennis. Yeah. You know, we did The Black Knight. <laughs> you know, all, you know, because I was the Galahad and Lancelot cover. So it's just right. these great scenes. Um, you, you know, uh, Prince Herbert's father, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh yeah. this will be yours, you know. What the curtains? <laughs> yeah. No, not the curtains, lad. You know, so um, so and, and it was just in me, you know, it was like in my my every cell. I could just I could not do it, you know. Right. And um and I remember uh, uh or sorry, Peter Peter, uh, the 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 guy running the audition was like, Oh, and Casey Nicola was in the room too, the choreographer. And he's like, Well, that couldn't have went any better. You know, so I was like, Oh, so that's good. And then nice. I, when I was out in the Always hallway, a good feeling. And when I was out in the hallway and I heard other people doing the French taunter, you know, mm -hmm. they were like, oh, yeah. slipping. The, the people, the other people in there, like other people auditioning, they would like slip into like Indian accents. Oh, <laughs> they didn't know how to do a French. And then they'd come out and they'd be like, I just slipped into like an Indian. Like, I don't know what happened. You know, they have fallen on their face. You know, they're so nervous. Right. You know, they're like, gosh, gosh, I have to go from a Cockney accent to a Scottish accent to a French accent. Or for me, it was like, you know, it was like the stars were aligning. It was just meant mm -hmm. to be. And, yeah. um, and that was just, and it was just cool. Like it was something that in college to come up and have it, you know, have that work out like that. Um, so while I was, um, um, so kind of the third lightning bolt, my transition to Tesla, I, you know, right. I, I just rant, I rant 
So I apologize for that. How long is how long do these things go for? <laughs> oh, they they go on for as as long as I you know like as long as it needs to. So oh okay. Um, just I didn't know if it was like an hour long. You know, oh yeah, no, just just to the, kind of set, that's all the time we have. Oh yeah, no, just to kind of set the mood here. So you've gone through you've gone through the producers. You've gone through spam a lot. You've done regional tours. You're even an extra in the producer's movie. Um, yeah, yeah, that was about three days in, on there. Yeah, released in uh, in 05. Um, and made it on screen. And also, yeah, yeah. just as, as a funny little thing, about uh, six years prior to that, um, yourself, my, uh, myself, Justin Adler, Joe Pospisil, George Nicolaitis, Brendan Murphy, we were all, you were all scattered throughout the movie Boiler Room. And so, so which, which, which in it, which in itself, you know, like it, it's perfect that you were talking about Vin Diesel because there he is in that movie, and oh, you know, yeah. and he when he yells to uh, Giovanni Ribisi to get out of the room, you can see this moment where this one blonde-haired guy does a double take, watching Giovanni Ribisi walk out of the room. That's Joe. That's Joe Pospisil. <laughs> so you know, and there are so many like great moments like that. You know, like and so. Going through that, going through college, you know, being su successful there, going into, you know, you know, like you said, persisting until you get these amazing roles, um, like, you know, for the producers, for Spamalot. And then all of a sudden, you made this, you know, this slight shift. But at the <laughs> same time, it wasn't, it wasn't like a full on right turn. If I was to go into cars, that would be a full-on right turn. The fact that I've only been driving for about six years now, but uh, but for you, you know, like cars have always been there. You know, so Correct. so to, um, tell us a little bit about that and how you were able to kind yeah. of take that passion along with the ability that you've gained through Marymount and and beyond, and working in such a great way. Yeah. So basically, the 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 next lightning bolt moment was, yeah was Tesla and, and basically how that worked was my whole life I'd always had a passion for cars. Mm -hmm. I was kind of born, I was born and raised in kind of the Detroit auto culture. Um, I say I'm kind of like a, a walking cliche. Like I learned how to drive <laughs> stick, you know, in a stealth, you know, twin turbo stealth, Dodge Viper RG10 you know, okay. on Woodward Boulevard, you know, just like right. a cliche Detroit, you know, <laughs> Dodge, my, I'm literally a Dodge boy. My dad worked for Dodge. So, right. um, so I kind of had a front row seat to that and I had a, a real, real passion for it. Uh, I believe it symbolizes, you know, freedom and beauty and power. And uh, I, I believe the, the, the car you drive is the clothes you wear. It's your signature. It's, 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 mm. it's, it's a statement yeah. of, of what you believe in. And, um, I believe they're, as Jay Leno calls them, kinetic art. Um, mm. They're beautiful, crafted machines that are incredible. I mean, and you can have a kind of utilitary one, you know, that's like a, a ham and cheese sandwich, and it and it does the job. You know, your Fed gets gets the job done, and that's what most cars right. are. They're practical, but then you can have you can have the fillet, you know, and there's something yeah. there's something amazing about it. It's one of the great joys of life when you can indulge in that. And that that decadent experience and some of the and some cars are like that and um uh the thing is i also fancied myself an environmentalist and and i had this inner struggle where before tesla the more fun a car was to drive the more crappy it was for the environment and um and and so it's kind of a double standard and so 
and it really tore me up inside because I wanted to reconcile that, but I couldn't, you know? Right. It's like, um, it's like loving the taste of steak and being a vegetarian or knowing that in your heart that it's, there's something that is wrong about it or it's that you yeah. feel is wrong. And not that anyone should do one or the other, you know, everyone makes their own decisions, but, but it was conflicting. Like one of my passions directly conflicted with the other. So that really tore me up. So around 2003, I heard about Tesla. Um, uh, no, I didn't hear about Tesla. I heard the predecessor of Tesla was called AC Propulsion. Uh, mm -hmm. And um, um, they built this car called the T0, which would then influence what would become the Tesla Roadster. And, um, and I was like, cool, people are making a car that runs on batteries. Like that is awesome. Yeah. And they're like, cool, awesome cars. So I kept an eye on it and I, I, I never thought, I knew I wanted to contribute to that because I was like, that is it. That's the reconciliation I was looking for. Right, for me, right. You know, for me and, and the world. That's what the world needs. And I always thought I would support it by being a customer. Like, oh, I'd buy one of those. Like, I would totally buy that. So yeah. I, I, hope they, I hope they make it work. In 2008, they come out with the Tesla Roadster. It's a super expensive, you know, well over $100,000, you know, two-seater play, play thing for rich people. I'm like, oh, right. okay, well, maybe someday they'll make something more more mainstream, you know, usable to the masses and things like that. So the straw that broke the camel's back, and this, this is the, the lightning bolt moment, was um, uh, the, the Deepwater Horizon, the uh, oil spill in the Gulf. Oh, yeah, yeah. So that happened, um, and I wasn't, even, I wasn't living in Florida at the time. I was, I was living in New York, and, and just the, it was a complete ecological disaster, as you know. It destroyed the businesses in the Gulf. Uh, oh, yeah. To this day, the Gulf is still seeing the, the effects. Uh, it's, it's the, that oil from that spill is still appearing in the livers of, this, of animals, and, and there's the sediment. of It just dumped bazillions of gallons. And, and BP, the way they handled it, British Petroleum was so irresponsible. I mean, they literally right. crunched the numbers and said, well, is it more expensive to implement these safety measures, or is it more, ex more expensive to pay the, the life insurance for the employees if something happens. And they, they came to the conclusion that it was cheaper for the life insurance wow. to do that. So, so they, and they're doing this deep water drilling that was unvetted, kind of untested. And it kind of showed the lengths that we were going to, mm -hmm. and, and it kind of showed the insanity of it and the recklessness of it. Um, right. uh, and then all, that mixed with the um, geopolitical instability from, from oil, um, all of the hardship that is caused on many, many levels. Um, I, I knew I had to be a participant. I couldn't wait to, to be a customer. I had to drag people into it with me. So, yeah. so what I did was in fall of 2010, I started uh, data mining uh, people that worked at Tesla. And Tesla was very, very small at that point. It's like a thousand people. It was like a mom and pop, super small Silicon Valley startup. And, um, and I found data mining is a really nice way of cyber, saying cyber stalking. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I, I found this guy. We'll stick with uh, data mining. We'll stick with yeah, data exactly. mining. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, it's like semantics. <laughs> yeah. So right. uh, uh, this guy, Rick Avalos, we're dear friends to this day. I found him. Um, he was a recruiter at Tesla. Uh, he lived in the Bay Area. Um, he played in a jam band, which I was a big fan of that genre. And, um, mm -hmm. and he was a huge Monty Python fan. So I, I was oh, looking nice. for something that could get me 
break the ice, you know, so to speak. So what I did definitely was um, spirit there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. I felt, I was like, okay, this is a guy that will get me, you know, he'll yeah. get, he'll give me a second look. So I basically wrote him a quick message on Facebook. I private messaged him, said, Hey, you know, you don't know me, but if I could take a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you, you know, why I, I think I'd be, um, you know, uh, why I'd be a good addition to, to Tesla. And the thing, you know, I told him, yeah, like I'm not an engineer. I'm, I'm not an auto designer. I had no inclination of being a car salesman at all. Like no, right. that was not, but I just knew I, I, I was like, here's what I bring to the table. And, um, and he's like, cool. Um, uh, he writes me back immediately and goes, Hey, can we talk? I, and I was expecting, I would never hear from him. I was like, wow. You know, I wouldn't have been surprised if I never heard from him. But he writes me right back. Um, we have a 45 minute conversation on the phone and we completely totally hit it off. And then he says, nice. you got to talk. Yeah. And he's like, you got to talk to my boss, um, Arnon Gashiru. Now Arnon, what he's famous for is he came over from Tesla, from Google, and he mm -hmm. was the architect. He's kind of this talent guru where he took Google from back in the day, 3000 people to 20,000 people in like three years. Wow. He's really good at building teams and stuff. And he took Rick over from Google over to Tesla. So Rick was, Rick was kind of a protege of, of his. So yeah. um, long story short, I have a 45 minute conversation also with Arnon the next day. Then Arnon's, and we hit it off. Then Arnon's assistant, Arnon's like, my assistant's gonna be reaching out to you. Assistant reaches out, said, hey, can we fly you out on Monday um, to meet the rest of the <laughs> team? It's like on Thursday. Now wow. my, my I've lived in New York for 15 years at this point. Yeah. So my driver's license expired because I never drove. So, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we'll rent you a car at the airport. And there's no Lyft or Uber or anything back then. Right. So um, they're like, yeah, we'll rent you a car. You'll drive the, fly in that night, spend the night, meetings in the morning, fly back to New York. So I was like, cool. Well, I didn't have a driver's license. So I flew back to Michigan, went yeah. to the DMV that weekend, flew back on Sunday night. Then yeah. Monday, I think Monday, I flew out to Palo Alto. So I flew out to San Francisco from New York, yeah. um, had the meetings, and then flew out at 1 p.m. that day. Had the meetings in the morning, then flew back to New York. So it was this whirlwind. Um, uh, um, and so I didn't join the team just then, but mm -hmm. they said, Hey, keep, keep in touch. You know, yeah. um, when the, when the model S comes to market, which will be like summer of 2012, we're going to be building a lot of these programs from the ground up. Okay, cool. So Rick and I continue to keep in touch. And, um, then in May of, of 2012, I was doing uh, Xanadu at oh, yeah. Meadowbrook, yeah. Meadowbrook Theater, which is great. Which Meadowbrook yeah. Theater, this is a cool kind of cosmic. Met Xanadu would end up being my swan song. I didn't realize this, but it would. It would be my last right. professional show. And mm -hmm. um, But the Meadowbrook Theater, I was an usher there when I was oh, a wow. freshman and sophomore at Oakland. Meadowbrook no is kidding. The, yeah, Meadowbrook, uh, uh, Meadowbrook Theater is the professional equity theater on the campus of Oakland University. And um, I was an usher there and they, um, they literally paid me peanuts. Like I had, I had like salted peanuts that I ate and, then, and I could see the shows for free. Like that was, the, oh, wow. that was the gig. So I did, I worked the coat check and the concession stand and I ripped mm -hmm. tickets and I got to watch the shows. And so for me, it was a great, awesome gig, you know, like I, right. it was awesome, you know, 
Uh, it's kind of like the end is where you began, you know, kind of thing. Like you were just like, like come, coming right back around to everything. Yeah, yeah. I actually had an interview at uh, Fox 13 um, to plug the show when I was doing Xanadu. And the guy yeah. and, the, and, the, and the reporter brought that up. He goes, he goes, man, what's it like to, you know, you were, you're selling peanuts in the lobby and now you're headlining the show. And I, I said, you know, it's super, it's cosmic, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's super, you know, it's a full circle kind of thing. And, and I'd love any, at the, I'd love the kid that's sitting in the, the uh, sitting in the aisle way then in the back of the theater mm-hmm. um, with, with peanut dust on his fingers to, to know that that could, that could be them too, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, so, so Tesla calls me up and they say, what are you doing right now? And I said, Xanadu. And they said, what's that? And I said, it's a roller disco musical. <laughs> like, oh, okay. And they're like, hey, they're like, hey. You saw, you know, the, you saw the Olivia, Olivia Newton-John movie in 1980, right? It's oh, that. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Such a glorious film. Oh, yeah. For all, all the wrong reasons. And, um, but that, but and, that, that number with, uh, with Gene Kelly was still oh, magical. Like that incredible. was just an, it's, yeah. It, yeah, yeah. It's like the one sincere moment yeah. in the film. Oh, um, yeah. The rest of the film is is laughably terrible. Uh, but man, which, but it, which but is it's why in, it makes it such a. But great it's show. infinitely, but it's infinitely watchable. Like it's that's oh, that's one thing you got you yeah, got to give it. It's one of it. those. It's one of those. It's like the room. It's where yeah. it's, it's it's so it's, the it's room, so ridiculous it's too. Like yeah, Correct. it's it's, it's all, one of those. all the great stuff. It's one of those. Yeah, so. and and great music too. So. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Electrolyte Orchestra, of course, amazing. So um, so. So uh, long story short, I set up a bunch of um, Skype interviews again, another round right. of uh, meetings. And the last guy is um, George Blankenship. And he, George is an amazing guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the head of uh, global retail development and sales and service to Tesla at the time. And yeah. George has done a lot of amazing things, but what he's most famous for is um, he's basically the father of the Apple store. He created what would oh, wow. the Apple store for Apple because Elon, Elon Musk, the head of Tesla wanted buying a Tesla to be like buying an iPad. You know, he, mm. he equated that to an amazing customer experience because, you know, yeah. the automobile experience, traditionally the sales experience is, is like the most mind numbingly awful retail experience you could possibly have. Like it is, it's actually put, it's put, it's put above root, like getting a root canal. Like people hate buying cars because it's such a charade you know you have like haggle and they're trying to dupe you and and so and elon was like well if we can start if we do anything we want let's not do that (laughs) let's let's make it something (laughs) let's make it something that people that's an amazing experience like wow yeah and for elon he created like an apple product like that's that's pretty amazing so he brought over george blankenship cool thing about george blankenship is he's also um a huge supporter of the arts so he is very familiar he's very familiar with spam libraries and so we hit it off in fact, um, um, Rick and, and his colleague, Brandon, said before the interview, because I was like, what should I know about George? They're like, well, we all call him Uncle George. He's like, the thing is, oh. he, he, might, he might not even talk about Tesla. He might talk about showbiz the whole time. Like, he just oh. wants to get to know you. And, and mm-hmm. that's pretty much what he did. And, um, um, and I've used this again and again. When you talk about parlaying um, what I learned at Marymount on, this is the this is the statement. This is the thesis statement right here, because 
thinking like, how do I fit in with Tesla? And George was like, wouldn't you, he goes, what are you doing in showbiz? What have you been doing in showbiz? And this, he, George is a genius, by the way. He's yeah. amazing. It's because he knows how to articulate concepts to people in a way that really resonates. Mm -hmm. He goes, no, so for 15 years, what have you done? He's like, what do you do? You, you learn lines, you do them every night, mm -hmm. uh, you do them over and over again, you do it in a way that people believe, and you, and you tell a story that, that people get, get invested in. He goes, so when you say you take information, you relay it to a broad spectrum of people, you do it in an accurate way over and over again, and you infuse that information with a narrative. Isn't that what you do as a, are you a professional that? And I was like, yes, that, that is basically it. He goes, that's what you're going to do. He goes, you're wow. not going to be selling. He's like, you're going to have to be selling cars. You're going to be delivering cars. That's what people call that stuff. He's like, that's not right. what you're doing. You are delivering a narrative. You are delivering an experience. You're delivering information to people that are going to make their lives better, give them something to think about. He's like, that's all you need to focus on doing. You don't worry I love about- this, I love this guy already. He's, he's a, <laughs> he is a genius because he didn't, you know, and I'm, I'm a big fan of Nietzsche. I'm a big fan of, of um, you know, Descartes and right. breaking out of these bounds, breaking out of labels and, you know, you must do this and you must do that. And you're either this or you're that, you know, these mm -hmm. dichotomies. I don't like that stuff and I never did. And, and he's yeah. that same kind of person. He's like, all these titles and stuff, nothing. This is what you're doing. This is the core of all the stuff that you will be doing. And that's something I always held with me with Tesla and people would ask me and they'd be like, that's such a brilliant answer. But it was, it was I, I, I stole it from George. People would be like, what do you mm -hmm. wanna do with Tesla? I was like, I want to take information relay it to a broad spectrum of people <laughs> and infuse that information with narrative. If I am doing that, I'm being used in the right way. And people are like, Whoa, wow. like that nice. is so, that is, that is so great. And I was like, well, that's the obvious thing. That's what everyone mm -hmm. should do. Not, yeah. not necessarily that, not necessarily that role, that function, but mm -hmm. that, that, that logic, because yeah. People, and then when people, when I started working for Tesla, and I could talk more about details about what I actually did if you want, but within Tesla, I was there for seven years right. and I enjoyed, and it was among the hardest seven years of my life. And I had some big wins and I had some big heartaches and everything in between, um, mm -hmm. but ultimately it was a big win um, yeah. because now I don't, I don't really have to work anymore, which is great uh, because, um, because of that time. I think I aged about 20 years. So I, 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 always, <laughs> I always say Tesla paid, Tesla paid me in advance. So, right. um, but um, when people would get frustrated at Tesla, maybe they're, they're, they're not climbing the ladder they want to do or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, would, I would say, first of all, there's no ladder to climb. Right. So don't think of that. Uh, I said, secondly, if people are like, well, why am I not getting that promotion? Or why am I not getting that? thing I want to do or why am I not getting the momentum I was like the because Tesla's mission statement and it's the coolest mission statement of any business ever that I've ever heard of by far right. is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy mm -hmm. that's the mission statement yeah. um, most most companies mission statements are we if you look if you get to the core product the core basis that most companies' mission statements are a paraphrased version of this. Uh, we build something that is kind of neat and we hope you think it's kind of neat because then 
your money will become our money. Like that's <laughs> basically it. Um, the wow. best or nothing, the ultimate driving machine, <laughs> zoom, zoom. It, that's always like, hey, don't you think it's cool? I hope right. so, because then you'll give us money. You know, it's like, <laughs> no. How do we accelerate yeah. the world's transition to sustainable energy? Every, and so I, told, I would tell people, because I mentored a lot of people at Tesla, I'd say, every action you take, ask, is this, is this, this action taking now, is it accelerating the world's transition to sustainable energy? If it's not, you're wasting your fucking time. Because mm -hmm. that's not what we do here. That is right. what, that's what we do. Every, if, if it is not that, it's an ego trip and it means nothing. Mm. It means nothing to what, an ego trip won't get you anywhere. Right. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, it's spinning your wheels. So, um, and so I said, if, if, if you focus on how, how, what am I doing? How can I leverage what I do to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy? You will have success. Cause that's yeah. what they need to have. That's what they need to have happen. Wow. So, um, so yeah. So, um, I joined, I joined Tesla in, in the fall of 2000, no, summer, summer 2012. Right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I was there for seven years. Oof. Um, dive into that if you want. And then, yeah. um, uh, and then I retired from Tesla in July of 19. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so getting to that then, you know, like what, um, is there something in particular that you, that you did while you were at Tesla, you know, something that you can really kind of hang your, you know, like, I mean, obviously the overall experience is something that you can really look back on very fondly, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. But was there, you know, was there something in particular that you were, that you were a part of that you can say like that, you know, that moment right there, that's exactly why I came aboard here yeah definitely i mean with just the fact that um it was definitely the 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 ability to be at peace with ambiguity because mm -hmm. that's what tesla the entire tesla experience from an employee standpoint is that a lot of people left because it was too ambiguous there was it really it, yeah um well, because it was all, it was, it was in a constant state of flux. I mean, yeah. consider it when I, when I first, when they first flew me out to Palo Alto in the fall of 2010, there were about a thousand people. Wow. When I was hired in the summer of 2012, mm -hmm. there were 3000 people. <laughs> when I left Tessa in July, of 2019, there were over mm -hmm. 40,000 people. Wow. So, so it grew over <laughs> 10 times. It, uh, yep. oh. So, I mean, it, the, the growth and it's, and it's going to grow another 10 times. Yeah. Um, so, um, so it was the ability to, to face ambiguity mm -hmm. with, um, uh, with peace of mind. Yeah. And not, um, because, um, and, and know that, and, and, and to fall back on what you do well and, mm -hmm. and, and try and trust it. Um, yeah, that, that was, that was, that was really the big thing. I think that carried through, um, uh, that was kind of the, the, the narrative that, and that when you, when you say like, what can I take from that or what I did basically, mm -hmm. um, um, 
I think the, my most proud, my, the, the proudest thing I did, the proudest thing moments were when I'd witnessed the lightning bolt moment with people, with customers. So yeah. with, with electric vehicles, because it's still in the infancy, people are still like, what is this mm-hmm. wacky thing? So it's very, it's very analogous to the internet, like electronic mail, you know, like in the, in the nineties, <laughs> you know, like, right. No one will ever use this thing, you know, or, or like mm-hmm. when, when the iPhone came out, the, 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 the smartphone analogy is, is almost the perfect analogy. You know, when the, when the iPhone came out, people say, Oh, this is a, a toy for rich people. It's a gimmick. Um, no one's going to use a touch screen. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone's always going to want buttons. Um, uh, how do you know when you're pressing buttons, if there's no buttons there, um, -hmm. this is a, it's a, it's a gimmick. It's a fad, um, for rich people and it's going to go away. Um, and we see, we saw that turned out and, um, uh, and and that's very much the Tesla. That was kind of the general for the uneducated. That was kind of the general consensus, but just like the iPhone, you know, if you had a Motorola razor, a flip phone in 2008 Mm -hmm. and your friend handed their iPhone, your mind was blown. You could yeah. be like, what? Like, what is this? What is this? Right. They're like, they're both, you're like, they're both phones, but like this thing is on a completely different level than this mm-hmm. thing. And then other manufacturers like, you know, um, you know, like Motorola and Samsung and LG, the people yeah. like, they, they saw the train coming. They're like, if we don't copy this, we're done. We yeah. have to copy the hell out of this. And then, mm-hmm. and then you have the other you know, then you had the the Blackberries and the Nokias and the, you know, the Ericsons, which are like, eh, and, and they, they went the way of the Dodo, you know? Right. And so um, the other ones are hanging on and, and, and it survived, but the ones that didn't, you know, Palm, you know, they, they responded to Zoom and we're seeing that now in the auto industry and it's going to get mm-hmm. even more acute, uh, particularly with the pandemic. Uh, we're going to see this unfold and we're seeing it unfold now. Yeah. Tesla, Tesla had a prof, let's put it this way. Tesla had a profitable Q1. The first three months, we had a global pandemic, the, the worst in modern history, a global right. pandemic, which is the worst three months of auto sales traditionally annually. The first three mm-hmm. months of the year are the worst time to sell autos. Yeah. The one company, the one company in the world that had a profitable quarter, Tesla. Wow. Why is that? Tesla is now the highest valued auto company in the world. It just surpassed Toyota. <sighs> Wow. Which is correct. They're a fraction of the size, but size yeah. does not de- size does not determine value because that confuses a lot of people. People are like, "How can it be the most valuable?" Mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, "Well, you can have a ton of dirt, or you can have a ton of gold." No, let's put it this right. way: you can have five tons of dirt, and you can have three ounces of gold, which is mm. worth more. Yeah, yeah. It's Obviously, the three ounces of gold. Yeah, correct. It is not yeah. the size; it is the value. Is what what people determine the value of it. And, um, and the market has spoken uh, and it will continue to speak. It's actually, wow. still, like I said, still in its infancy, believe it or not, it is a fraction of what the overall overarching plan and what Tesla is. M- many people will see this as time goes on. Um, so, uh, give, sorry, I went on a huge tangent. My point being is people don't, <laughs> right. see, people don't get that. Yeah. So when they get the proofs in the pudding with the Tesla, you can talk to your blue in the face, but when you experience it, that's it's it's undeniable it's it's a it's a it's a revelation it's an epiphany moment and and my my favorite thing 
uh, getting back to your question, was be having a front row seat to that. I'd be sitting in the passenger seat when when people, even the most skeptical people, the most you know that like, oh, I've been driving Mercedes for thirty years and my kid won't shut up about Tesla, so I'm here to, you know. <laughs> it, or we'd have like it kind of remi- it kind of reminds me it kind of reminds me of when uh, when uh, when my wife Cheryl and I went to visit you and Liz back in 2014 because you got to drive us around in a Tesla. And we were at a stop sign and we looked over to our left and there was a BMW there at the stoplight. And you said like, oh, okay, I got to race them. And you, you hit the gas and it was, it was such a smooth acceleration that completely left that BMW in the dust. And then we come to the next stoplight and we see that BMW, the same BMW pull up and we see the driver just looking at the car and then looking around the car and looking at, you know, just trying to get like all the details of it. And I think you may have just gotten another customer right then and there, as soon as that exactly happened. Right. It, was, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome to see. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I always say it's, it's my diplomatic duty to blow away gasoline cars at the light, yeah. uh, you know, as, as being, a, a, you know, as being a, an ambassador to the technology. And, and you, um, you, you did that job very well, I must say. I, so many people, when they'd come in and they'd buy a car, I'd say, you know, I'd ask the obligatory question, you know, what brought you in today? They'd say, you know, they had a Porsche 911 or a BMW M5. Because I was at the light and the Tesla was next to me. And I figured, oh, these Teslas, let's see, let's see what this is about, all this fuss is about. So it's like the thing left me like I was standing still. And I thought to myself, I got to get one of those. I got to yeah. get one of this. And there so, um, and so, and, and so when people, whenever I do a test drive, I'd say this every time and I'd say it with the same conviction, I'd say, um, what you're about to experience is going to change your whole life. Like your yeah. life, cha- your life changes today. Mm-hmm. From now on, a new door is open. A new realm of possibility is open today. You, you will not think the same today as you did yesterday. Because mm-hmm. the thing you're about to experience is that profound. It's, I say, in fact, were you excited to drive today? Some would say yes. Some would say, oh. They're like, oh, yeah, I've heard so much about it. I was like, it is going to be better than you even possibly imagined it would be. Wow. I don't, and I never worried about <laughs> over-exaggerating it. I was like, I don't even worry about over-exaggerating it. What, you, what you're about to experience is better than what you ever hoped it could have been. Because so, so often we're disappointed. We get our hopes up and maybe, I me mean, not personally, but people allow that to happen to them. And I was like, this is going to be better than you ever thought it could be. And, um, and I sent it, I said it cause I meant it. Cause I saw it. I've saw it too many times. I saw the most, the most skeptical people get flipped 180 and they're like, yeah. Oh my God. Cause it's that good. It's that undeniable. Like you couldn't, you couldn't have a Motorola razor flip phone and pick up an iPhone and be like, this thing is a piece of crap. You're like, this thing is, it's not even close. It's like from yeah. another time. And so, mm-hmm. um, and again, that came from, and this is a great, a, a great story. Um, Mike Nichols would, would uh, come out and visit us. You know, he'd come to the show and he'd give us notes every once in a while. For those of you right. who don't know, Mike Nichols, probably one of the most prolific, celebrated uh, film and stage directors of all time. You know, Man he, is brilliant. He, has, he has Emmy, Tony, Oscar, every, he's won basically everything. Yeah. Um, uh, and have I told you the story about he, how he, how he said how to keep show, how to keep it fresh? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. It's the, it's the greatest, it's the greatest acting advice I ever got. 
was from was from Mike Nichols. And it was actually, you know, we had done thousands of performances at this point. Some people have been doing the show Spam a lot for years. They had thousands of performances. They had done thousands of mm-hmm. the same show every yeah. single night, eight shows a week. And um, and so the topic was keeping the show fresh, you know, because when when you're doing the show, even though it's the, you've done it 2,000 times, that person from Wisconsin that has never seen a Broadway show before has been saving up their whole life and they're finally seeing it. That's number. That's the first time for them, and it might be the yeah. only time. So for them, it's everything. Yeah. So you can't take. Kinda, you can't. Yeah. It's kind of like what Stan Lee said. You know, like every comic is someone's first comic. So like that's. Yeah. That same sort of that same sort of feeling, and you know the fact that Mike Nichols and Stan Lee are you know like became as big as they were because of that sort of sensibility. So that's that's amazing. That's yeah, the, that's kind great of the that they always thought that. Yeah, yeah, and so um, and so it, it's it's very important to keep that in mind. So Mike said, "How do you keep it fresh?" He's like, "Here's what you do: with every performance, try to get closer to the truth," quote unquote. Mm. With every yeah. performance, and he didn't define what truth was. He said, with every performance, try to get closer to the truth. You will never get there. You will never get there. Yeah. But you have to try. And mm-hmm. that was it. That was the epiphany. Yeah. So what that did was every performance was not good enough because right. it was not the real truth. It was mm-hmm. not the real truth. And you might think, oh, but it's, it's spam a lot. You know, what, it's not truth. It's goofing around. Not no. to Mike Nichols. Mike no. Nichols directed it. The way he directed it was, you're not up there to make people laugh. You're on a mission to get the grail. He goes, because I've got mm-hmm. news for you people. You're not funny. The, <laughs> the writing's funny. You yeah. are not funny. The writing is funny. So he said, you say the lines. You say it like you mean it. He goes, you don't try to make the audience laugh. You yes. try. He's like, you try to survive. Your character is trying mm-hmm. to survive. So he's like, you try to survive. You try to evoke change in that moment. That's all mm-hmm. you have to worry about. You don't try to make people laugh. He goes, if anything, try to make your fellow actors laugh because you're so committed to the moment that's happening. Mm-hmm. You're so dead serious. Yeah. That, that, that the, the other actors are like, holy crap, he is so in this. <laughs> yeah. That, and that's funny because the, the situations are absurd that they're in. But that's funny. And that's why Monty Python was so funny. Because to them, the characters, it's not an odd situation. That was their life. That, mm-hmm. that moment is, 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 is life or death. And, yeah. uh, and, so, and, and, so, and that was a big thing with Mike. So he's like, you get closer to the truth. And so, mm-hmm. for, and, and so I did thousands of test drives, countless test drives. And with every one, people would be like, God, you, you're so passionate about this. You know, yeah. how many drives do you do a day? And I was like, I could do eight test drives a day. I'm like, don't, don't mm-hmm. you just want to phone it? Don't you want to phone it in? I was like, no, because I knew that this moment that that person was having, it needed to be honored. It was important. You know, yeah. it's not something to, fo- you don't phone in something, a moment that's going to change somebody's life. You have to honor it, you know? Right. So, uh, so that, and I got that from the theater. If you want to bring mm-hmm. this back, you know, right. uh, it's, that, it's that feeling of cr- creating something that's honest and true. Because I mm-hmm. said, I wasn't selling anything. I was getting, I was celebrating, I was celebrating 
and recognizing something that is good mm-hmm. that and sharing it and, yeah. sh- and, sh- and showing people how, how this relates to them, listening to them. It wasn't mm-hmm. just me reciting. And that's again, something you learn from theater is um, it's, you know, you don't really say lines as you listen to lines. Yeah. And then the lines that come out of your mouth are, 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 in, are the response to that uh, to get what you want. But it's it's wow. more about the it's more about the listening. So I listen to the needs of the person, and then I and then I show them how what they're ex- about to experience will meet their needs in a way that has never been met before. In fact, in ways they they never maybe even considered before. And yeah. um, and I always said you change you change, and I and I I taught the 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 Tesla sales staff this philosophy when people walk into the store. They're going to say, why should I get this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, our task is when they walk out of the store, why have I not got this? Right. <laughs> I, need, I need, why is this not in my life? Yeah. You know, this is, it flipped, flipped their world upside down. And that was the cool thing about this product. And it still is in this moment in time, you know, cause in 10 years, every Honda Civic will be electric. It won't be a big deal, you know, right. but for now it's this really cool, sweet moment in history where people's minds are being blown again it's it's wow. it's like we take it for granted now but i mean yeah. you know w- you know when we pick up this thing and it's like there's a camera in it and i can check the internet you know like yeah. you know that was that was an epiphany 15 years ago that was unheard right. of that was like Tomorrowland. like yeah. what do you mean i can get i can go on the internet and it's a, a whole whole computer there's a computer there's a, pocket. Yeah. there's a computer and that's yeah. what we're you know, they're, they're like, like I haven't used gas in like seven years. And I tell people wow. that and they're like, they're like, what do you mean? You know? And, uh, and so all of a sudden they, they, there's this possibility people didn't, you know, cause it, yeah. I believe is I believe is Nietzsche. Is it, is it Nietzsche or, or um, Descartes? Like we only have access to the content of our own minds. Mm. So what we deem possible is yeah. we can only see as far as, as our reference point. You know, and mm-hmm. um, if if it's beyond our refer- point of reference, we don't think it can exist. If it's beyond yeah. our realm of possibilities, we don't think it can exist. And so, a really magical moment is when people are are introduced to a possibility that they didn't know. Uh, another, yeah, you know, um, another another spinoff of that is you cannot make a choice that you don't know you have. Mm-hmm. Impossible. So. Uh, people yeah. now know they have a choice they to to them they, that they didn't know before that's a very powerful thing uh we you know we see this throughout in many yeah. works uh the matrix is my favorite of course um you of know course. you take the you take the pill and you and you see that you go down the rabbit hole and you open to a world that was always there mm-hmm. but you just didn't um, see the, it you couldn't didn't see it. it you know it's it's like plato's mm-hmm. allegory of the cave um there's a world yeah. outside the cave and the people yeah. don't so, even know. So you had, so, um, yeah. So you go through, so you go through all this, ex- this whole experience with Tesla, like you said, seven years worth. And what, what was it that made you want to either step away from that or segue into uh, clean Technica? Like what was it that, that made you want to make that kind of jump? Basically, um, just my, the role in Tesla changed 
so and 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 it's nobody's fault or anything it's just kind of the nature of how the business evolved basically you know i joined tesla for those reasons you know to to take narrative and, and to, to the people and when i was doing that i was the most happy it was the most dynamic we were seeing the best results and uh maybe it's just the the way that the the business evolved and the way that business was working you know regionally because i i'd moved down to florida at that point um but in this weird kind of twist of fate or occurrences my my role and it was and it was not a necessity because with tesla so many so many so many times there's so many twists and turns that no one can anticipate and then when you're in a certain position or a certain place you just somebody has to pick up the slack somebody somebody has to do it there's a job to be done and if you don't do it right. nobody's going to do it so i found i, I kind of was in that position where i was uh, i was part of, i went back to the delivery team and the idea was that I, I would help shape the delivery process for the ramp up of model three, the, the, the Tesla for the people, you know? Right. Um, and that's what I did. Um, but the, what ended up happening was I got, I, I got assigned to this role and it was called rev rec revenue recognition. So I spent my days, mm. which is an important job. And it's important for someone to do, but not for me to do. Uh, it, it's basically, I spent my days on the phone talking to creditors, banks, loan agents, um, auto, uh, auto finance people, all this stuff, very important. But um, yeah. really anybody with a pulse could do it. You know, there wasn't a specialized skill set to do it. Um, and, and literally weeks would go by where I wouldn't sit, I'd be in a back office. I wouldn't sit in a Tesla. I wouldn't talk to a customer about Tesla. And mm. uh, I had a Tesla. I was driving a Tesla at that point. Um, right. So I, I would be in a Tesla, but I wasn't doing, it would be like doing a, a monologue in your bathroom to yourself. It's mm. like, are you doing theater? Yeah. Right. Do you have an audience? No. Uh, so yeah, I was experiencing a Tesla, but that's what it wasn't about. That wasn't what it was about. It was about serving the Kool-Aid, you know? It was about getting, yeah. spreading that narrative, telling that story. I wasn't doing that anymore. And the only opportunity to really do that, there, there are some people internally that were very supportive of me, but at that point, the only way to do that would be, they're like, well, would you be willing to move to California? Because, you know, that's where Tesla's headquarters mm. is. Yeah. And I, just for a lot of reasons now, you know, we have like a lot of family and friends, connections we're very kind of east coast centric people yeah. so they're like no no i mean i love california but it wasn't in the cards mm -hmm. and uh so i would just do this role because i figured fine i want to help tesla in any way i can but the role f went further and further away from why i joined tesla and quite frankly I, I wasn't exceptional at it you know there i was okay but like it was like anyone could be okay at it you know if you had a pulse you'd probably be fine you know at it and um, right. like, an, like an intern would be great. And, um, and so uh, basically what happened was um, one of my clients, somebody I'd sold a, a, a P90D, you know, a, a really fancy Tesla too. Um, he's in the medical tech industry and uh, he's this big shot. He has like this like $6 million house on the ocean in Longboat Key um, off the coast of Sarasota mm -hmm. in the intercoastal. And uh, 
And we kept in touch. We'd have lunch every once in a while. Long story short, we were sitting on his little little deck. No, it's actually not a little deck. It was a huge deck uh, overlooking the ocean. And he said, why don't you come work for me? <laughs> and and um, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I will. I will. So, mm. um, so, um, so that's what I did. So I, I, um, he had a, he had a new product that he's commercializing on the medical tech. Um, and, uh, I, I had some experience with now with Tesla with doing that, uh, kind of setting narrative, right. telling people how it works, uh, kind of, um, setting, setting how that tone, how that interaction would be. Um, so that's what I did. And, and I worked and that was a great, it was a great gig. Um, you know, like our, our team meetings were literally, we'd be drinking a beer and I'd, I'd be wearing like a polo and, and cargo shorts and flip-flops. And he has, he has a 40 foot yacht in Marina Jacks. And like, that's where our meetings were. I mean, oh, it wasn't wow. like party. We, I mean, we had our laptops open, you know, it was, yeah. you know, but I mean, it was like as cash as cash can be. There's no clocking in, there's no clocking out. I'd have, you know, uh, I would um, meet with um, my clients were um, medical professionals. So physical therapists or clinicians, and right. um, and they're all um, very, very nice people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's just it was just kind of, and everyone was great. But it was it was two things: is 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 very technical, uh, very clinical, I should say, and right. kind of kind of saying st- it. And um, I just felt myself um, doing it less and less, and I didn't feel I could honor the job. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I could put in the time to really honor it, uh, right. to do something else. Cause, cause there, during that time, I, uh, that's when I met Zachary Sheehan at Clean Technica. So I was, um, I was actually plugging my car in at Whole Foods, uh, the <laughs> nice. Whole Foods in Sarasota. And then, mm-hmm. uh, another Tesla model three was backing in and I saw the, um, uh, the license plate was a temporary tag, which I know to me, I was like, oh, that person just took delivery of the car under 30 days ago. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you are. And he gets out. I recognized him. It was, it was Zachary Shahan because I read his stuff. Right. And so I said, I said, hey, congratulations on getting your car. And uh, he's like, oh, thanks. And he complimented, he complimented me on my license plate because, you know, mine says kick gas. You know? Right. Which I'm very, <laughs> I'm very proud of, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a sucker for a good pun. And, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and he's like, hey, I'm Zachary. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, know. I read your stuff. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And he's like, cool, cool. Long story short, we end up talking for almost an hour and totally hitting it off. And he goes, man, he's like, I yeah. wish I, rec-, he's like, I wish I recorded that. He's like, would you mind if we just like grab coffee someday? He's like, I'll buy you a coffee. And he goes, I get you on the record and just talking. And um, I was like, sure. And long story short, that, that developed into um, Tesla Inside Out, which we do every Wednesday morning kind of a little different with the pandemic and you know he has two kids that he had to like now become their teacher and stuff and uh so um right. and so but we, we did it and um I, in fact a, a recent episode just released a couple couple nights ago um and then at one point um i said hey zach um i totally understand if not but i said if, if i ever wrote something would you consider publishing it you know if you think it's good if it's crap i totally understand but would you consider? And he goes, he goes, I would publish anything you wrote. And wow. I was like, I was like, sweet. So actually we're just finishing up the, um, there's a, a intellectual properties contract that I'm just finishing up with them. Mm-hmm. Um, for signing. And then I, so I'm also going to be doing, um, and be writing for them as well. 
So, um, so in a couple of things happened. Another lightning bolt moment. This was a big lightning bolt moment. Mm-hmm. Was in December. Um, I signed it kind of transitioning because because it was very exciting to have these conversations with Zach because like yeah, the old, that old fire came back again. You know, like yeah. you know, that transitioning the world to sustainable energy, having this platform, um, and like and like you know, Elon would be like retweeting something that. Future. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm kind of in the game again, you know, like I felt like I was in the game again. And, um, and it was very energizing. And so I, I you know, I put in my resignation to, um, uh, to, the, the, to the medical company. Of course, it was, I mean, we were on great terms. Yeah. Um, and then um, with the, te- you know, I'm very, because I'm with Tesla during the early days, I'm very heavily vested. You know, they, they gave me a lot of Tesla stock. And <laughs> so nice. Um, nice. So when this, and back then, it was $27 back then. It's about $1,000 today. And, um, wow. and um, yeah, and back in December, it was around $400, um, which was, it was the highest it ever been at that point. And it's since more than doubled. But yeah. Um, so I looked at my wife and I said, I think I want to step away for a bit, the whole corporate thing. Mm-hmm. And I want to get back to the roots, get back to it. Because of course, if I had this idea, it could be crazy, like the rantings of a madman. So I definitely want to run it by my wife to be like, oh, yes, the same person agrees with me that this is actually yeah. a good idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. After, happy wife, happy life. We all know this. Mm-hmm. So, oh, um, yeah. so I ran it by her. And so what I basically do now, because people are like, oh, are you just like shedding stock? Are you selling stock? No. Um, what I do, I basically, I, I talked to my financial advisor and uh, also my, my, my father-in-law, who's a retired um, um, CPA. And the most mm-hmm. fiscally conservative person you can imagine. Um, <laughs> and I've basically taken a book from, from Elon Musk, although his, his budget is, he's dealing with billions of dollars. Uh, right. You know? uh, so Elon, I heard an interview with Elon and he has like something like $35 billion of Tesla stocks, something absurd like that. Yeah. And so what he did, he, he opened up a line of credit from his holdings and he has a, a billion dollar line of credit. Wow, one one billion dollars, which seems like a ton of money, until you realize it's one thirty fifth of his net worth. <laughs> so he took out one. He took out a loan for one thirty fifth of his net worth. So for wow. him, that's not that's a, not 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 bad. So yeah, um, not bad so I, I ran that by and I ran I ran it by my um, uh, financial advisor guy, and he goes, yeah, you can open up a super low interest, low risk line of credit where it's, it's basically, and I just pay the interest off and it's basically a, like a, a money tree based upon my portfolio. Wow. And at, basically the interest I pay is basically, it's, it's like getting, I give myself a salary and I pay a, like a 3% luxury tax. That's kind mm-hmm. of, that's kind of what it equates to. Oh, and man. so, um, so that's what I do. That's what I do now. Um, and I don't have to sell stock that way. Uh, yeah. I do have to make money at, at some point, I'll, you know, I have to settle out the, the loans. But what I do is, you know, I'd still say it's at that point. But but if the stock goes up another order of magnitude, um, then it's going to be a tenth of what that payout is. So um, uh, so it's a fraction. So um, so that's 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 basically what I do. That's how I fund my 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 life. Wow. So um, which is very weird because this is a very weird time for a lot of people. And, mm-hmm. um, and I hope it gets better for everyone. 
absolutely. But there was this huge, yeah, there's this huge, but, but for me, there was like this huge opportunity. So, Mm -hmm. um, um, so that's, that's the latest. That's what I'm doing now is, um, you know, with, with clean technical and, and getting it going there. Yeah. So just a couple other, couple other questions real quick before we wrap, wrap all this up. So um, what do you, what, uh, what um, advice would you have to give to a theater, uh, to a theater student who is in a department that is very, um, that is very competitive and is going to be upon graduation going into an industry that is even more competitive and really, you know, like, chews up a lot of people very, very quickly. Um, what do you have to say to them in order to like give them, give them some sort of hope that there is something beyond theater for them as long as they keep up with what they're doing? Yeah, I think, um, I think identifying what you want mm-hmm. and then going after it is, is really important, you know, yeah. cause there's, um, you know, Zig Ziglar, as you know, I'm a huge fan of oh, that yeah. guy, the late Zig mm-hmm. Ziglar. You got, um, you got me into him, so yeah, yeah. He's awesome. And he said, are, he'd always ask, he's like, you have to ask the question, are you a wandering generality or a meaningful specific? Mm. You know, are you a wandering generality or meaningful specific? So I'd say, uh, what is your meaningful specific? What are you passionate about? Right. Um, you know, Anthony Robbins said, um, there are two types of people in the world, people who are interested and people who are committed. It's like mm. people who are interested in something may do it. They may not do it. He's like, but if you're committed, you will get that result. Mm. You just will, because you'll, yeah. you'll commit to do it until it happens. And it, right. and, and it won't play out exactly how you want it. But if you're committed, you, you, you just you do it, you know, yeah. or you find out, you find out, um, the, the, the pragmatic first principles reasons of why it could never happen. You know, if mm-hmm. it's an unrealistic thing, most things are not, most things are not impossible. This is, most things are not impossible. It's that people confuse, people confuse difficulty with impossibility. People think it's too difficult. Therefore it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, where the fact of the matter is, it's totally possible, but it's going to be really difficult. <laughs> so, <Right>. <laughs> but here's the thing. If you are, if you know you have to do it, mm-hmm. um, then difficulty becomes irrelevant because right. it, it's no, there's no question on whether it has to be done. It has to be done. Why? Right. Because you've decided it has to be done. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where success comes from. So, and you see that in theater, um, you know, like Ashton Kusher, I remember him saying that he's like, there was no real question of, um, and other people have said this, Madonna, Mariah Carey, where they're like, it was no real question of whether I was going to be successful. Mm-hmm. It was just like, I just knew what I was going to do and I was going to do it. And right. I, and I thought about it every day and I worked toward it every day. So for, um, and we see, and, and then you have to find your niche, you know, like, um, um, you know, like, like Eugene Cordero, um, Ryan Casper Zach, uh, yep. they, they, they do certain things incredibly well. Yeah. And, and in a way that, um, 
that they can fulfill an, a niche where they're if they're not a if if you're a general you if you're kind of ubiquitous in your skill set you're like I kind of do this and this um you 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 are you become an extra um, yeah. and that's okay and that's okay but if you could find out the your lead like what what is what is the what is the thing that that where you fit um mm -hmm. well then that well then society welcomes that the not only society welcomes it the universe welcomes it the universe right. the universe starts bending to <laughs> to the will of, the, of those will. people yeah. Yeah. yeah and 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 um so uh, so all of that being said if i had one sentence to tell anyone you know like you said any advice i'd say find out what you want to do and then work towards it every single day of your life yeah that's, uh that's, that's it that's and it won't yeah and it won't turn out quite as you think um and that and that's okay but yeah. the things that do come out of it um will be awesome and you'll be way 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 better off than if you didn't go after something every day absolutely absolutely so where can uh, where can my listeners find you from what i remember you are on twitter correct yeah you can follow me my handles basically on all my stuff is davy do 2000 so yep. uh on instagram twitter d-a-v-e-y-d-o 2000 so correct. yeah just yeah. one O on there. So yeah. just one O. Yeah, just one O. Right. Oh yeah. Change that to a curveball. Yep. But um and uh, um yeah. And so uh so where can the where can where can our listeners find the podcast? Yeah. So basically just um, you know, because it's like on app, Apple and you know, it's and uh SoundCloud and you know, all the places that you find podcasts. So mm -hmm. kind of the, the best general way is you could just Google uh, my name and then um Tesla inside out. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to throw in clean technica, you can do that too. But uh, my name and Tesla inside out should pull it up. And then clean, uh, clean technica actually has an archive page that archives all the episodes. Um, and then you can either do it through, I think they, there's a YouTube one where you can, you know, listen to it. And sometimes there's video involved, uh, right, right. Uh, which, uh, is kind of guerrilla style video of it still, um, mm -hmm. but um, or like you know SoundCloud or um, whatever your uh, Stitcher, whatever your you know um, oh yeah pod podcast of choice uh, mm -hmm. is. Excellent, excellent. This has been just an amazing conversation. I'm so glad that you were able to to come in here. And uh, and yeah, speak I'm, glad, with us. I'm glad it wasn't the rantings of a madman. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> no, what this what this You're is like, that is, sucked. Like, what what this is, and I really really hope that uh, that that all my listeners have taken this as the same way. It is proof that you can you know really t you know take what you you know go into a very competitive field like theater, and get everything you you want out of it. And then take it into a realm where you can really, really um, soar with your passion. And that's something that I really hope a lot of people realize that they can do this. They can take their own passions and they can go ahead and, and take the tools that they learn in, in school, like, you know, not, uh, you know, or, or in life in general, and then go ahead and use that to 
fight, you know, to, to go out into the world and do what you truly love to do, what you are truly passionate about. And I hope it's, it's something that, that a lot of, that a lot of you out there are doing that. I hope that, uh, that you are all on your own Excelsior journey to consistently improve yourself as time goes on. And I couldn't think of a better example of someone living that Excelsior journey than David Havasey. So for David, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward, and I will see you next week.